What's going on, everybody? Uh, welcome back to the latest episode of our podcast, Mass Media Hysteria. I am your host, Court. This, of course, is Chris. How's it going, everyone? Uh, Andres is not here today. Uh, he was supposed to be, but he had a whole bunch of stuff to do. So hopefully he'll be back in two weeks time. Uh, we wish him well. Uh, we want to thank you guys for tuning in today. We are going to be talking about the following topics. We will be doing a full spoilers review of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier episode four, which was titled the whole world is watching, uh, which I think we're both pretty excited to talk about. Yeah, definitely. We are going to talk about uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is joining the cast of Indiana Jones 5, uh, which is currently untitled. We are going to talk about the fact that uh, Netflix has basically purchased the rights to Knives Out Part 2 and 3 for an insane amount of money. And then we have a uh, discussion. Uh, Chris came up with this uh, discussion question. So, Chris, do you want to uh, give us a brief idea of what we're going to be talking about there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, a popular question that people have is, what is a movie that everyone seems to love, but you hate? And just to preface, you don't actually have to hate it, but just what's a movie that everyone seems to love, but you just doesn't, doesn't work for you. you? You just, you don't get it. You right? just don't, it just, and there was a couple that I was thinking of, but um, yeah, I think I have some good ones. I'm, I'm curious to hear yours. Okay. So we'll, uh, we'll get to that, but <clears throat> so to start off, we are going to talk about episode four of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier titled The Whole World is Watching. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, Chris, you and I have said on this podcast a number of times that we're enjoying the show, we're, we're liking it, mm -hmm. but we haven't, for both of us, we haven't really found that hook. It hasn't really grabbed us. It hasn't been a situation of, it's been a situation of, yeah, I'm looking forward to the next episode, but it's never been, I need the next episode in my face right now. Yeah. So let me ask you a very pointed question right now. Did this episode give you that hook? Yes. With the, I say that with the slight caveat that it, I still have not reached the same level of, of, of interest that I had when watching um, WandaVision. WandaVision really did captivate me and I had so many questions. Um, so I'm not at, at that level of excitement. However, the, you know, the cliffhanger of this episode has me has me salivating to see the next one like what the hell happens next and that's the first four episodes in it's the first time it gave me that feeling of like what the hell is going to come next what what do they do so i'll give it major props for that you posted something on facebook similar how it was like four episodes in and now it's like it, you're finally like fully on board yeah. it, it took up until this this episode to get to that point. And it seems like without spoiling your answers, you're in the same kind of agreement. I, I will say this is the first episode of the show that I have loved. I loved yeah. this episode. I thought it was mm -hmm. great. Um, the ending was excellent, but the, the whole episode I really enjoyed. I had some laughs. Uh, the action was really good. Um, we'll get to it, but S Sebastian Stan was amazing. Let me ask oh, yeah. you this. Let me ask you this, even though uh, we haven't gotten to this yet but i was having this conversation with a buddy of mine uh a couple days ago you said you said the ending of the episode was a cliffhanger i don't know if i would consider it a cliffhanger mm. and 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 it uh, it got a little contentious between uh, my buddy and myself but i was saying like a cliffhanger is you know when the end of the episode has you know batman and robin dangling over a lake full of sharks with freaking laser beams attached to their heads mm -hmm. for this it felt like Obviously, there are going to be ramifications going forward, mm -hmm. but it, it felt like a very clear ending to me. What do you think about that? Uh, yeah, I, it's interesting. Someone 
someone mentioned it, it similarly how i i've talked before about like avengers infinity war saying oh that is a cliffhanger and a lot of people push back and say no 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 avengers infinity war has an ending thanos won it could have ended right there and while there's a point it is sort of like yeah it uh, avengers infinity war could have just ended like that and that would have been a conclusion the the good guys lost the bad guy won end of movie but this is where it gets the sort of the, the meta kind of ness of, of these franchises where you know that there's something coming up next. Right. That's why it, it gives me that same sort of feeling of unanswered questions, like something else is going to happen. Like, so I, I, I feel the same way about this episode where, yeah, this, this could potentially like, you know, actually, I don't know. I think I would disagree. I, I, it's hard to say because it's, we know that there's going to be two more episodes. So of course there's going to be more. There's, we're going to see what the ramifications are. So I have that 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 feeling of like what's going to happen next. So it feels kind of cliffhangery for me. But also hypothetically, if we didn't had, know that there was going to be other episodes, is this a conclusion? Is this a conclusion to a show? Is this a conclusion to a movie? And I'd say no, unless you're like a, the Coen Brothers, where you're just like. Right. <laughs> It's over. I I don't know. You know what I mean? Like I not going to get into a contentious argument about it, but you you know what I mean? Where it's like, I I get what you're saying. Where it's not the cliffhanger in the sense of like our heroes are in danger and they just cuts like halfway in the middle. There there is an arc necessarily, but it still feels like. Could you imagine this being the end of like the right. show? And I <clears throat> and I wasn't saying you were wrong. I just wanted your perspective on it. Yeah. What's but, your perspective uh, on it? I'm curious. I, I don't really feel like it was a cliffhanger for me. Okay. I, I mean, uh -huh. I think, I mean, yes, it's, it's episodic television. So we know there's going to be more, but it, mm -hmm. that, that felt like a conclusion to the episode, not to the story, but to the episode, gotcha. it, it felt like a very clear conclusion to me and what an ending and we'll get there. So yeah. you had messaged me, uh, cause you watched the episode before I did, mm -hmm. you messaged me that the opening, like just, just rocked your world. That's not what you said, but you were saying <laughs> that, made you were, sweet sweet love to my eyeballs yeah no and you said and a title card came up and you got really excited and so i was totally. like okay yeah I, no yeah go ahead Sorry. no please please oh i was just gonna say yeah i i don't know how to explain it it's just like i the the opening shot already was like oh look it's a it's a city in the in the background is that is that Majapur? and it took me to realize like no that's and then it just says in a title card wakanda now the rest of the scene doesn't really have much you know, it doesn't show Wakanda, but it's just like, uh, it just felt great to be back. I mean, we technically haven't been there since Infinity War, same year that Black Panther came out. And I love Black Panther. I think that's one of the, the best that the MCU's done. And I think that the world of Wakanda is so rich and full of, you know, something that you can explore fully. And I, I'm, I'm loving just the kind of the the interconnection that the show is kind of weaving throughout wandavision of course felt very like kind of isolated in its own little new jersey setting mm -hmm. um winter soldier is not just like globe trotting but it's it's introduced it's introducing new worlds but also kind of visiting places like wakanda i don't know i got really excited because i love wakanda but it just i was also excited about the possibility of like the MCU doing what it does best, which is connecting all of these different narratives, all these threads. Did you have a similar feeling when you saw it? Absolutely. And I, like, even even before the title card came up, I was like, are we in Wakanda right now? And then it <laughs> came up and I, I got I got chills. <clears throat> I, I really like that. Let me ask you this though, quickly. Um, have we actually seen Madripoor in the MCU before? Or is, 
Was this the first time? It was the first time. Okay. I think it might be the first time it was even mentioned. I could be wrong, but I'm fairly confident that it wasn't even like name dropped in the series so far or the okay. franchise, the franchise. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So this first scene we see, uh, it, we find it. It's, it's six years prior to when this series takes place and it's Bucky and IO in Wakanda. And basically IO is attempting to deprogram Bucky and she basically, she starts saying the words, the trigger words mm-hmm. in, in Russian and or Sokovian or whatever it is. And I thought the scene was one of the best of the series. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's all on Sebastian Stan. He is really crushing it on this show. Mm-hmm. But like, as he's saying, this isn't going to work. And she starts saying the words and there is like, there is fear on his face. There's pain there's fight like he's trying to fight it and we were seeing flashbacks to the various things that he's done over the time including killing tony stark's parents mm-hmm. and eventually and he's he's crying and eventually she finishes the words he doesn't get triggered and she mm-hmm. says you're free and like mm-hmm. the relief on his face like his performance in that sequence blew me away what did you think about the scene oh definitely i i completely agree i i Love the scene. I loved a, a quick little moment where essentially Sebastian St- or well, Bucky was like, you know, what if this doesn't work? I don't want to hurt anybody. Right. And Ao essentially, without without any smugness, but just pure confidence, is like, I'm not gonna let you hurt anybody. Right. And That's which is right. which kind of plays into like events that happen later in the in this this episode where this, the Dora Milaje are just badasses, man. They're just mm-hmm. so cool. You don't want to mess with them. So I love that confidence. But yeah, Sebastian Stan owned this scene. This is the best that he's been in the series so far. Probably the best, you know, single scene that he's had in in his tenure with the MCU. Uh, as you said, is just there was so many different emotions that were just kind of showing up all in his face. Very little dialogue. It really is just his performance. It was just like a. It was pretty much a tight close up on him that lasted quite long. And he he crushed it. I felt everything that he was feeling: the the guilt, the pain, the relief, you know, the joy afterwards. Um, really well done. And I so I applaud him, and I applaud the the creators of the show for for going to those kind of dramatic depths. Absolutely. Uh, so I should mention we're not going to go like sort of beat for beat through the entire episode because we don't want to belabor the point. Um, but so we're going to move on to. We're going to talk about uh, Carly and the Flag Smashers for a minute. And I will say for me, and I think this is a bit true of you as well, Chris, but for me, like that subplot has been the driest part of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't find, well, again, we, until this episode, we didn't know why they were doing what they were doing. We knew that they wanted to get back to what it was like during the blip. We didn't know why. <clears throat> mm-hmm. um, I, I, I f- found the character of Carly until the very end of the last episode where they did the sort of terrorist bombing of civilians. Mm-hmm. That's when I kind of went like, okay, now you have my attention, but mm-hmm. I found the character boring. I wasn't terribly into the performance. I believe her name is Erin Kellyman. Mm-hmm. Uh, that wasn't doing anything for me. This episode, we started to really dig into Carly and the Flag Smashers. We do find out why they're doing what they're doing. We get, and we'll talk about this in a second, but we get, I said in my review, I'm always a sucker for two enemies having a conversation. 
Mm-hmm. I, I brought up, you know, De Niro and Pacino in Heat. I brought up Joker and the Batman and the Dark Knight and the in the mm-hmm. uh, uh, interrogation room scene. Mm-hmm. I love that kind of stuff. Granted, and Sam even tells Carly, like, I'm not your enemy, but they're kind of enemies for for the point of the discussion anyway. Um, mm-hmm. Did you find that that subplot? Did you find yourself connecting with it more in this episode or? Yeah, because this episode, they really kind of dove a little bit deeper into the the philosophy behind these these, these flag smashers, especially Carly. And we've we talked about it before, but it I really appreciated that. I feel as though, even though, you know, there I disagree. <laughs> Sam even kind of says something um, to this, to this uh, extent because he has a great conversation with her. They just meet just the two of them. Um, and essentially, like... He, I, he kind of agrees with her philosophy. He agrees with with her goal, just the methods to get there. We disagree on, and and I'm kind of there with her, uh, with him, in that regard. Where I don't think that she's she's far off the mark when it comes to the flag smashers' ideologies. It's just you know when you're when you're putting other people in danger, when you're hurting other people, when you're burning them alive, you know that that can't that's inexcusable. So it's one of those things where I. That's what makes it more interesting. I'm not. I'm still not in love with Carly as a character. I don't think that she's a, a terrific villain yet. Um, the Flag Smashers still are not super interesting. They're not like they're not. How do I say it? They're not super engaging. However, I am interested in the the ideologies that are being brought up because it, it raises questions. It's 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 more interesting to me than just good guy, bad guy, black and white. It's very much like shades of gray. And right. that, that's always more compelling drama than just, you know, good guy, bad guy. So, right. yeah, I, I, I think they did a better job of making it more interesting this episode. Okay. Um, I do want to jump back, actually. Uh, there's uh-huh. that, we, we get that moment um, earlier in the episode where they're trying to find out where the, the funeral for one of the Flag Smashers, sort of one of the figureheads, um, they're trying to figure out where the funeral is going to happen because Sam wants to find Carly. And... Uh, Zemo goes out and he pulls a he pulls a Lord Varus and he gives a little girl some candy his uh, his little birds and finds out where mm-hmm. this is going to be. But I love when they got back into the hotel where he's saying he's not going to tell them yet because he wants to keep his leverage. And I thought Bucky was going to rip it like he throws the thing against the wall and like Sam mm-hmm. has to like calm him down. I thought he was going to tear him limb from limb. That was great. But I also really enjoyed when Sam goes like, you know, just relax whatever he's just gonna he's just gonna manipulate you and do that mm-hmm. stupid head tilt thing and then it cuts to like Zemo, <laughs> like yeah that was great i laughed out loud mm-hmm. no that was a great moment um and and again daniel Bruhl is is crushing it in this role he's he's really terrific and creepy and and it's like it's again that's the difference i guess between him and carly is is he does have a lot more charisma and he's sleazier in a way like when he started when he pulled up you know pulled out that bag of candy and was just giving it to the kids that's creepy you know i mean everybody i feel like anybody whether you're a parent whether you're a kid whether you're just an adult without any kids you can just identify i'm like hey 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 grown man how about you don't just like give kids candy that you don't know that's creepy yeah but i also like that scene because it showed the three of them, uh, Zemo, Bucky, and Sam. And it was great little character moments because they showed how each of them would go about interrogating. Sam was a little more um, nuanced. He was a little more kind of um, 
charming. You know, he was talking to the people. He was he wasn't trying to be too pushy. He he was trying to like come across as pleasant. Like, hey, you could talk to me. I'm not a bad guy. I know I'm an Avenger, but you know, just I'm just trying to get some answers. He was trying to be reasonable. Bucky was more, much more like, uh, do you know this guy? Eh, fuck it. Like he doesn't. He was more brash and more more kind of confrontational. And Zemo is conniving. He yeah. didn't go, he, his method, he didn't go talk to the adults because the adults won't talk. You know, you get to talk to the kids. How does he talk to the kids? He pulls out a bag of candy. Um, also, quick little thing of him saying, essentially like, these were Turkish lights. These are my kids. These are my son's favorite. Um, which once again, goes back to kind of him actually having a tragic backstory. Like he's a villain, he's a bad guy, but he still had tragedy and, and that kind of shaped who he is as a person. Yeah, and I love that that line was kind of <clears throat> kind of just off the cuff. Like they didn't yeah. make a thing out of it, mm-hmm. but it was just like a little reminder. Yeah. <clears throat> I like no, that a lot. There's no dolly zoom in on his face. Right. My kid's favorite. Like <laughs> right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's see. Then Sam goes to talk to Carly. And of course, uh, Bucky and Lamar and John Walker are waiting outside. Mm-hmm. And of course, John's pacing around because he's, you know, he he just he thinks he's the man and he's got to be in charge and he should be the one making decisions. Which, you know, you you get the distinct impression in that scene that he kind of thinks he's better than everybody, which plays out later. Um, and I loved that moment where he he kind of decides he's going in and Bucky just sort of gets in his way. Mm-hmm. And John just realizes like, okay, yeah, I, I can't, I can't fight this guy. Um, but eventually he goes in and ruins everything because Sam was sort of just starting to get through to Carly. And then she, of course, this wasn't Sam's plan, but she thinks it was his plan until his backup gets there. Yeah. And all hell breaks loose. Um, what did you think about that before we move on? Yeah, they 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 t- crank the douche nozzle up on this dude for you know like up to eleven in this episode. I mean, he was showing shades of being a dick throughout, right? Uh, but we talked about it before how he still seemed kind of grounded and leveled mm-hmm. to an extent. Right off the bat, this dude this dude's just a dick. Like they they're going into this meeting, you know, that he doesn't trust his subordinates. He doesn't trust Sam to get the job done he's jumpy he's pacing he's just he's bug-eyed while he's waiting while sam and carly are having this conversation meanwhile lamar and bucky are just hanging out and they're just chilling and it's it's just strange to me you know because he was he is a soldier um and he's a decorated soldier john walker but he really seems like unprepared for for battle he's really unprepared for conflict um and i he seems they're painting him much more like a blunt instrument as opposed to like a strategic captain, like, you know, Captain America should be. So yeah, it was, it was very frustrating. It's that whole moment, that whole thing of Sam was really kind of getting through to Carly. Again, it was our hero and our villain kind of sharing common ground. There were things that they agreed upon. Again, a lot of her philosophies rang true. It's just, they differed on the, on the methods of, of how to go about it. And it was showing that Sam was getting through and Sam was making progress without punching, without violence, without, you know, super heroics, just talking to someone and, and being there. And John Walker had to effing ruin it. He just came in and then she, again, she, she, she pulled a ratatouille pew, out of the kitchen and it ruined everything. And she, cause she thinks now that Sam was a part of it. Like it was just some stupid ruse. Um, very frustrating. Um, 
well done, you know, like to really just kind of get you as far away from liking and rooting for John Walker as possible. Um, and then sets up for a pretty, uh, pretty cathartic uh, moment afterwards. I think you know what I'm talking about. They meet up, they meet back up at the hotel where Bucky, Zemo, and Sam are staying. Okay, well, and we before, get- before, before, before we get there, uh, we have to mention that, uh, of course, when he, when he bursts in on the scene, we see that uh, Zemo's escaped. Eventually, Zemo shoots Carly. Um, she'll mm-hmm. presumably survive. But in that moment, she spills all the extra super soldier ah, uh, serum yes. vials. <clears throat> and there was a moment where, like, Zemo's looking down at us, and I was thinking, like, is he going to take it? And then I was like, no, that's completely antithetical to everything that he wants. Mm-hmm. He stomps them all. They leave. And then John Walker comes in, finds one other vial, puts it in his pocket, mm-hmm. which of course is important for later. But yeah. uh, yes, please go on. You were. Uh, oh, yeah. No, but you bring up a good point because I forgot it happened in that order. But yeah, they, John picks up the last vial, the last vial of the super soldier serum. And I'm interested. I like what they're doing with the, the super soldier serum in this episode, or sorry, the uh, series, because besides, I suppose, kind of the winter soldier. Um, it, I, I never really felt like the MCU gave us a, a proper answer of like, why don't, why don't more people just like use this? I understand that they kind of talked about like, it was hard to like to duplicate and not everyone knew it, but it seemed like at some point, the rest of the world figured out how to use, how to make super soldier serums. And I, you know, we, we know that there could be bad, bad guys with superpowers. I get that, but it always seemed like, well, Steve Rogers, you know, turned out fine. But I, I like that they're, what I mean is like, I like that they're expanding upon the thing that Stanley Tucci said, Dr. Erskine, I mm-hmm. think about his name. Yeah. And the first it's where the super soldier serum just kind of magnifies what you ha- what you are underneath, you know, like who the person you are before you take the serum is just going to be magnified. So if you're a good person, you're going to be a better person. If you're a douche, you're going to be a bigger douche. And like I said, I know that they, they kind of like, they showed examples of that throughout, but it really feels like in this series, they're hammering at home in a good way. Like I'm really liking because um, I think it's I think it's a fascinating moral kind of dilemma to bring up. Like, will you would if you had the opportunity, would you take the super serum, super soldier serum? Right. And a lot of people, like Sam says, like no, like hell no. And and it's sort of like it's hard to say. You know what I mean? Like it, I think that's an interesting question that they bring up. Did well, you, and, you feel that? I, I absolutely and. You know, it's it's interesting because we've talked about how this show has sort of touched on uh, the racial divide in America, mm-hmm. and it's interesting because in in this episode it was still kind of referencing that, but in a very different way. Because you know, Zemo talks about the fact that like, and you said you know Steve Rogers, but Zemo talks about how like the ideas of being a super soldier and the concept of supremacy are kind of inexplicably tied together, which mm-hmm. I hadn't thought about, but it makes sense. Like you would feel like you're better than everybody else because oh, you yeah. literally are, mm-hmm. at least at least in a physical in a physical way. And he says, like, you know, every super soldier is going to be a supremacist. And they say, well, Steve wasn't. He's like, okay, touche, but there was only one Steve. Yeah. And I, mm-hmm. I, I liked that a lot. But yeah, definitely. So yeah, they get back to the hotel. Uh why don't you take this one? Uh, yeah, I mean, so they, they get back to the hotel. There's some squabbles happening of just like, you know, John Walker's pissed. Like, you ruined it. And Sam's like, you effing ruined it. So they're squabbling, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's As it's coming to a head, 
a, a friggin' spear comes out of nowhere and almost just like takes him out. And of course, you look, and it's not just Ayo, but it's Ayo and several other Dormelage coming in. And um, love seeing the, the the costumes again. Again, I love Wakandans and I love the the whole mythology behind them. So seeing them come in was awesome. And then just an epic beatdown happens. I, well, and, I and you oh, good. Let me just uh, interject. You were saying that like they're really badass, which they are, and we'll get to that in one second. But like they're physically badass, but that line where he goes like, you know, the Dormelage don't have any jurisdiction here. And Io goes, the Dormelage have jurisdiction wherever they find themselves. I was like, mm -hmm. fucking right. Yeah, no, I, that, I noticed that too. I, I just figured like, I had this image when I heard that, that people, whoever wrote that line in the writer's room was just like high-fiving people after. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, that's the shit. <laughs> no, cause it, cause it was, I mean, it's awesome. It's like that, that confidence and it's that earned confidence that John Walker does not have. You know, like if he were to say something like that, you'd just be like, whatever. But you hear that coming from the, like Ayo or the Dora Milaje and you're just like, damn straight. Like you wouldn't, you don't want to cross any of them. Well, um, he, he actually yeah. did kind of try and say something like that because he's about to face off with Sam and he's like, why don't I put the shield down just to make it fair? And it's like, fuck off. Yeah, exactly. Like, you don't buy it. He It's this unearned confidence. He's like George Costanza in the sense of like, <laughs> you, should, you don't need to be this confident. Um, so we do get to see a pretty good beatdown. I was, one little thing is that I thought that John Walker held his own a little too well in certain points. Okay. Regar regardless, it was the Dormelage versus him. Um, uh, what's his name? Lamar was trying to help out too. And the, clearly the Dormelage just wiped the floor with them. And there's some uh, some great moments throughout. Like you see Zemo just taking a drink. And then there's a certain point where uh, Sam and uh, Bucky are watching. And John Walker's essentially like, someone going to help me out? And, and Bucky's just like, you got it, man. Way to go. It's all you. It, looking, looking strong there, John. That's the kind of uh, that MCU humor that works for me, where there, where it's it's less kind of like beat you over the head with it, but more just kind of like it's it's character revealing and it's 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 just interjected enough to keep things light while this while the action scenes happening, um, and then probably one of the coolest. I mean, you can interject because like I'm talking, I'm going to talk about the end of it, but probably one of the coolest shots of the show so far is when one of the Dora Milaje, like, like Steve before him, just kicks the shield up and she's holding the shield. I was like, I didn't even know that was an image I needed to have in my life, oh, yeah. but I'm, I'm so happy. Seeing the Dora Milaje in, out, in garb with the spear and the shield, that's just like, you know, geekgasm. That was awesome, man. Yeah, that was good. A couple yeah. of my favorite moments from that battle were when, I don't know if it was I or one of the other ones, but she like, so the, the spear that's sticking out of the pillar from like the very beginning of the scene, mm. she like throws him into the spear. That was great. Yeah. <clears throat> but also when he was like over by the table and they throw the spear and it goes like through the, the guards on his shield into the table. So he's like stuck in the table. Mm -hmm. That was badass. I loved that. And of course, eventually Sam and Bucky do get involved because they just are trying to like defuse the situation. Mm -hmm. And uh, Io just like takes Bucky's arm off. That was great. Yeah. She does so it was little very, thing. yeah, like Kill Bill five finger. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And he was like, puh, 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 puh. <laughs> just, I love his face too when it falls off. He's just like, I didn't even know that could fucking happen. <laughs> like, it oh, was Sam, just, Sam even says, like, did you know they could do that? He's like, nope. I was getting major, major, uh, uh, 
Buzz Lightyear from Toy Story One vibes, where he's like, okay. "This is the, you know what I'm talking about, or no?" Where he loses his arm and he's just like waving it around. Oh, that's right, that's right. That's a dumb reference. Don't worry about it. But <laughs> I, I, I just I haven't seen that one in a long it's time. A but um, um, oh, one thing, two things I want to touch on that you mentioned is like little subtle touches or little subtle things like throughout again that just kind of highlighted how badass the Dora Milaje were. Where you know, like you said, they they threw the spear in a kind of like it kind of like um stuck the shield john walker shield and he just couldn't get it out he kept trying and trying and trying he couldn't do it and then you just see the door melage without any effort just just take the take the spear out just little things like that to show just how strong they are and even afterwards um john walker was essentially like man they they didn't even have superpowers they they didn't even have the super soldier serum and they they wiped the floor with us Mm -hmm. um and just you could see just how how butthurt he was, how how upset he was over it, how much this dude is so insecure. It's he's a really, really insecure villain, which is interesting. Well, and I I feel like that line, and I thought his deli- uh, Wyatt Russell's delivery of that line was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, but that line really kind of informs his character for the remainder of the episode completely. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the next the next scene that I really want to talk about is the scene where he's sitting down with Lamar and he's basically he's basically asking Lamar for his approval to take the super soldier serum. So he's saying, you know, if you had the option, would you take it? And Lamar's like, hell yeah. And he's saying, you know, you know, you're a decorated war hero and blah, blah, blah. But can you imagine like that that day in Afghanistan or whatever it was mm-hmm. the worst day of our lives? But can you imagine how much better it would have gone if you'd had the serum. Mm-hmm. And you see that kind of resolve in, in John Walker's eyes. Mm-hmm. One thing I loved about this episode, because in watching that scene, I was like, okay, so he's, he's going to take it. Yeah. I'm so glad they didn't show it to us. Yeah. I, I, I in that moment, I was like, don't show it. I don't, I don't need to see him sticking a needle in his arm and getting all roided out. Like, yeah. Reveal it in like an action scene. And that's exactly what they did. Mm-hmm. So, where does it go from there are they like tracking so essentially um yeah they the carly and the rest of the flag smashers one of them i think is her brother maybe um i did kind of get that impression yeah i i thought she said it but i could be wrong but essentially they're talking and they're like we got to split these people up we got to split up you know sam bucky and, and john walker yada yada we have to kind of pit them against each other and um one of the ways that Carly does that is that she's able to track down who Sam is and inform- information about him. She essentially blackmails him by threatening his sister and his family. Um, and that kind of brings Sam with Bucky along, even though she said to kind of come alone there, there's going to be a second meeting between Carly and Sam. And because Carly essentially is she's trying to separate him. She's trying to break everyone up, but at the same time, it's still, she, it, she said as much, she still has some sort of trust in Sam. She kind of feels that there, there was a bit of a connection in regards to, I think I can kind of trust this guy. I don't think this guy's trying to screw us over. So let me try to get in touch with him. And so that's when they kind of meet up. Um, and I, I did think it was very telling that, you know, and she even says, when when sam shows up he's like you threatened my sister and she's like i, I would i would not harm your sister like she's not mm-hmm. she's not my enemy but it's interesting to me that the first time they meet up sam's in cities you know this yeah. time like he's not coming to 
just have a chat. Like he knows that it could throw down. He's in his full gear, his tactical gear, what have you. Um, but yeah, so they're having that that conversation. And then is that when John and Lamar show up? Yeah, so essentially a, a, a similar time where it's they were tracking Bucky and they're tracking Sam. So for the second time... Oh, that's when, right, because Sharon was monitoring them with the song. Oh, yeah, Sharon's back. So we're glad because <laughs> we were talking about Sharon. We were hoping that it wasn't just going to be one episode. She was back again in this. Um, some people are thinking she's the power broker. I'm not I'm not throwing any of those uh, those theories out there again with the WandaVision. I got mm-hmm. burnt out. I'm mm-hmm. just going to let the show reveal it to me if they even do that. If it's Ralph Boner again, whatever. I'm not I'm not <laughs> gonna, That would be good if it was just Evan Peters and he's like, "Hey, it's Boner." Um So yeah, they they interrupted again for the second time. A bigger rumble happens, you know, like they're they're fighting um, the the flag smashers with superpowers are fighting or or whatever team they are now the Falcon John Walker etc. And it gets real like they're they're fighting and there's a quick moment where uh, like I said like John Walker's fighting one of them seems to be holding his own doesn't seem to be doing that well but then all of a sudden he just he just launches the shield just bam gets stuck in a concrete wall. And like you said, it was a great, nobody says it. Nobody says the words, oh my God, he took the super soldier serum. It was all visually. I know it's like, it's obvious, but I'm glad that nobody said the stupid lines. It was all conveyed visually. This dude took the super super soldier serum. Why? That's hard for me to say, apparently. That's like the 15th time I messed it up. It's a bit of a tongue Um, twister. Yeah, which I appreciate it. I agree with you. Like, I I didn't need to see him actually injecting himself. I liked that reveal. yeah, how did you feel about the reveal of just like with the shield? Well, see, for me, like <clears throat> the shield didn't sell the idea for me. I was like, I mean, I was pretty sure he had taken it anyway. And that happened. I was like, okay, but we've seen the shield like smash into stuff. And so mm-hmm. maybe it's not that. And then he kicks a dude and launches the guy. And I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure. The moment for me that sold it was when the guy has the the bar, the, the big metal bar oh, and he yeah. just like bends it like it's rubber. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was like, okay. And I think that's yeah. the moment where Sam or Bucky look up and that's when they make the connection. And like you say, nobody says it. Yeah. We're all thinking it, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was, there was no like re-explaining the rune thing from the end of WandaVision right. where it's like, the, it was just kind of like, yep, this is it. Um, so yeah, pretty brutal fight happens. And I forget which one, it might've been Carly, but I think Carly was the one that she either, she just kills Lamar, mm-hmm. um, you know, pretty brutally. Like she kind of, she throws him or kicks him and he just, <clears throat> just lands against the, his back against the wall. Just kind of blood's coming out. A pretty bloody episode, pretty bloody show for, yeah. for MCU. Um, I felt bad because it's like, it's not that Lamar was like a, a fan favorite character or it was like, I really loved him. But it felt kind of like just kind of using him as a catalyst, which is, you know, it happens. Um, but yeah, from there, it that leads up to the the real shocker of the episode, the, the final moments. Um, do you want to talk about the fight leading up to it before we get into that or? Uh, I'm not I'm not really remembering any super specifics about the fight other than like the way she she launches Lamar into the pillar and the way he like hits it. I can't articulate why, but the way his head moved something like immediately I knew he was dead. Yeah. It's, you know, like in a lot of these shows, we see people get thrown around and they're usually okay, but I don't know if it was the way they shot it or the way he moved or what, but immediately I was like, this guy's toast. Oh yeah. 
yeah yeah i felt i felt that too just something there's something about it where it's like oh he didn't land right like you could (laughs) you could just see it that looked like it hurt um yeah nothing too memorable about the fight prior to besides that Uh, you know john walker comes up and he's just kind of like like lamar um and it's just like that but he just like that he gets pissed and this is the the separation between the, the the final clearest separation between Steve Rogers and John Walker, where when Steve Rogers lost his best friend in the entire world in the first Avengers, when he saw Bucky, you know, go down, he didn't, you know, he, he continued to be a soldier. He continued to fight the mission or continue the mission, but he didn't go on a murderous rampage. Right. And that's essentially what, what John Walker does. Um, they, they come out into the streets. Um, of, I believe they're still in uh, Latvia. I think so. Yeah. It's a big public square. There's there's people everywhere. Like holy shit, that's Captain America because he's in his he's in costume, and John Walker tracks down one of the flag smashers. It's the guy that potentially is Carly's brother. We're unsure about that. Sorry guys, don't yell at us in the comments. But it's um, maybe maybe him. And he he you know gets knocked down, and he's just like, hey man, it wasn't me. It wasn't like begging for his life. Right, <laughs> like that scene in in Miller's Crossing with John Turturro, uh, just like look into your heart, and and John Walker shows no mercy, and and probably the most surprising bit of violence that I've seen in the MCU, he uses the shield, and just we don't know if he decapitates him, we don't know if he just smashes his face in. I'm I'm thinking more smashy smashy face, mm-hmm. um, but either way, he's just wham wham wham, and there's blood on his face, and you see the blood on his shield. He murders this dude. He beats him to death with the shield. Yeah, it's, I, mm-hmm. I was I was gonna say we sort of get that the final shot, that villain shot of, and we see everyone standing around, everyone's filming it on their cell phones, and that's when the title of the episode, the whole world is watching, really mm-hmm. clicks. But mm-hmm. then we see John Walker, full Captain America gear holding the shield and the shield is covered in blood and that mm-hmm. for me that you know that shield and the captain america thing it's such it's such a a symbol of of hope and good and to have it as i said in my review to have it like desecrated with the blood of another human mm-hmm. uh, out of out of out of rage was like it was a shocking image oh totally yeah just it it was shocking, especially because you know this isn't Zack Snyder's Justice League. This right. isn't this isn't meant to be the boys on Amazon Prime. Uh, we've we've come to expect a certain level of of violence and seriousness with these Marvel movies. Now they've had a little bit of blood before, and there's gun violence and such, but it all feels very PG thirteen. Right. And this really like it's pretty bloody. It's not the most graphic thing ever, but yeah, just that image of of a good amount of blood on the shield. And him just standing there, and yeah, you see people recording him on his fo- on on their phones, and just like how how that's gonna go viral. That Captain America, you know, everything that's supposed to be good and honorable about this country, um, just murdered this dude in cold blood. Um, yeah, I also liked the real quick the um, kind of the parallel imagery that they did, where there's a similar moment at the end of Captain America: Civil War, where after Captain America and Tony have fought. And Tony Stark is on the ground. He's pretty much defeated. His his helmet's off. And we see Cap over him. And he raises up the shield over his head. And there's a close-up of the shield. And he shows Tony kind of like kind of covering his face. But 
um, Steve brings it down on his arc reactor. He wasn't trying to kill him. He wasn't trying to hurt him. Just wanted to end it. Right. And it was a similar imagery of like, okay, John Walker's lifting it up, lifting it up. He is in the same position that, that Tony was in, or so that Steve was in, where he could have just killed Tony, but he didn't. He spared him. Right. And John Walker didn't. So I liked, I really enjoyed that that kind of parallel. Um, I yeah. didn't, yeah, I didn't make that connection. That's a good call though. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is what we were talking about earlier about potentially, you know, about is this either a cliffhanger or or not a cliffhanger, regardless of like, you know, the semantics of it. I think we can both agree that it's like really got us both excited for what happens next. Like, What are the ramifications of this? Yeah. Especially because so many people were filming it. This is not, it's not just how is this going to affect this character, which is, which is also a thing. How is this going to affect this character morally? Uh, Con- like his his conscious how's it gonna affect the other characters but how's this gonna affect the world seeing yeah. this happen yeah that's what yeah yeah so uh that was falcon winter soldier yeah for me uh easily the best episode of the series so far mm-hmm. we have two more to go and then it's uh dunzo do you know off the top of your head when loki come uh, when loki starts i believe it's june 11th okay so they're really uh-huh. they're really going hard yeah, yeah. So we get a unlike with Wandavision, there's a little bit of a breather in between these, um, which is good. I think it's, yeah. I think that's good. Yeah. Um, so we are going to move on. We have a little bit of entertainment news to talk about. So they are officially making Indiana Jones Five. That's been talked about for years upon years. I don't know why they're calling it Indiana Jones Five when there are clearly only three Indiana Jones movies. That's that's weird yeah, to me, but bizarre, yeah, very very strange. Uh, thing but so we don't know very much about it as of yet other than obviously harrison ford is going to be back we are i believe we're told that uh uh what's his name shia labeouf will not be back which is fine by me um not that i dislike him as an actor but i hated him in that movie um apparently he's a bit of a dick in real life too so i've heard that i've heard that um but so allegedly we don't know yeah yes uh but the, the news is that Phoebe Waller-Bridge uh, has been hired to be uh, the female lead in the movie. Now, I will say for me, I have not watched Fleabag, and I have heard it's amazing. Dude. Is she in it, or is she just a, the writer? She, she's in it. She's the creator and, and uh, star of it. Okay. Um, yeah, I've heard, it's, I've heard it's wonderful. For me, I, I pretty much only know her as, like, the sexy robot from Solo, and uh i well i mean it's it's, the sexy robot it's heavily implied that she's she's banging uh lando it's heavily implied so puts it in one of her usb ports it's it's common knowledge yeah right uh but uh so i know her from that and i liked her in that as the voice of whatever the robot was called or the droid i should say Mm -hmm. um and i i think a couple seasons ago she hosted saturday night live which for me is always a bar I know a lot of people hate SNL. I, I still like it because uh-huh. I, I used to do sketch comedy. I, I love sketch yeah. comedy. So, um, but for me, like a lot of times doing well on SNL can really change the way I think. I, I never gave The Rock the time of day because I was like a wrestler turned actor. And then he hosted SNL and he was amazing. And I was like, and I love The Rock now. Yeah. Um, she crushed it. I remember that. Um, she absolutely crushed it. So uh, what are your, because you have watched Fleabag, what are your thoughts on her joining Indy 5? I, I love her. I think that she's phenomenal. Fleabag is, is absolutely terrific. Like, it's so 
well written. It's so clever, so smart, and she's so hilarious in it. It's just like the driest, really dark British humor, and she crushes it as a writer. She crushes it as as an actress. She crushes it. Um, so I'm I am excited. I'm interested in anything that she does. Like they, it was announced a bit ago that she was going to be in this Mr. and Mrs. Smith kind of reboot for for television with Donald Glover. I'm really excited about that. So I'm always interested in anything that she does. Uh, you, Court, and anybody listening, if you haven't seen Fleabag, check it out. I promise. Just watch the first episode. And if you're all, if you're not laughing after the first episode, then you can send angry messages to me. But if I guarantee you, anybody who watches the first episode, you're like, this is this is great. Um, so I think I'd be more interested if she was starring and co-writing it, because mm-hmm. uh, um, I think that she's she seems to work best with kind of the material that she kind of writes for herself. Cause you know, she was in solo and it, she mostly was a voice and she was fine. Like she didn't really, wasn't really memorable in solo. Right. Um, but she's still a, but you know, she was, you know, a robot. You didn't really see her face. didn't really see her expression. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I, I think I mentioned before how, when bringing up this topic, I wanted to ask you whether you thought Indiana Jones five was actually even going to, happen this seems to be more promising proof that this is going to happen i ask that because it's been 13 years since the the last one that you refused to acknowledge and with good reason yeah and that's a long time the entire time like even right after that movie came out they were like how are we going to do indy 5 we're going to do indy 5 indy 5 indy 5 and every year it was just like oh it gets pushed back push back push back they were supposed to have the sequel out prior to like Disney even buying Lucasfilm. And then right. when they did, it you know, they made a clear thing like the big news in 2012 when Disney bought Lucasfilm was like, oh, Star Wars, Star Wars. And it's like, no, no, no. They also bought the rights to Indiana Jones. We're going to be doing something with that. So Disney's had the rights to Indiana Jones for going on. Oh, yeah, technically going on uh, nine years now. Wait, no. Yes. Yeah. 2012 is when they got the rights to Lucasfilm. Okay, and they haven't done any anything with Indiana Jones yet, which is which is why I was like, for a while I was unsure that this thing was going to happen. Even when they, you know, Steven Spielberg stepped down, they got in James Mangold to direct, and everything just kept getting pushed back. Do you think that this casting um, is a good indicator that this movie will actually get off the ground, or do you think it's going to just fizzle out again? I think I think it is a good indicator because. With, with all of the talk about an Indy 5 for all these years, outside of Harrison Ford, nobody was announced. Like they never uh-huh. even made the step of hiring anybody. I don't think, I'm not sure if they even ever had a director on board. And I gotta say like, I'm psyched that it's James Mangold because I loved Logan. I thought yeah. Logan was amazing. Uh-huh. I also think it's at the point now where it's kind of like, I think the people at Lucasfilm and Disney, I think they understand like it's now or never because Harrison Ford has got to be pushing 80 at this point. I would think, Mm -hmm. I mean, he was, he was looking kind of old and slow in in the last one. Um, I still love seeing him do what he does, but you know, you can't keep pushing this thing, you know? Yeah. I don't know what they're going to do, man. He's, uh, he's 79 and they haven't even started filming. There's not even like a, a predicted time of when, he might start filming. He may not even start filming until he's 80. Right. So clearly he's not going to be an action hero again. Is he going to be just sidelined? Is he going to be the 
the Sean Connery character from Last Crusade, and there's going to be someone younger, in like as kind of like a passing of the mantle thing, someone that's not Shia LaBeouf. Right. Um, are they going to do the thing that they've been talking about for a while, which was like a spec script for a Die Hard movie, where it's going to be like a prequel slash sequel? Do you know what I'm talking about? Where it's like there's going to be present day, or in this case, it's going to be I don't know the 60s or 70s. Indiana Jones is going to be in the 70s, and he's an old man, and then it's intercut with him as a young man in the 20s or whatever. And they're going to find a younger actor. It's just I don't know what they're going to do. I don't even know what the plan is. So I'm not even really that excited about this. Like it's a terrific original trilogy. They the first three Indiana Jones. Like you, I'm not a fan of the fourth one. It just felt you know. It was, you know, I want, I feel like everybody wanted to have another Indiana Jones adventure. And then when we got one, we're like, uh, it's okay. And I think also, just, yeah. also it's like George Lucas, you have six other movies with aliens. Did, did you need to bring aliens into this? Yeah. That's one thing I, I've talked about it, and a lot of people have defended it where it's like, you know, I'm not a religious person, but at the same time, it's to me, there's just a, a distinct feeling. There's just a different kind of feeling of like, weird mystical kind of spiritualism oh, and then sure. and then aliens yeah now like someone else that like i've been friends with they're like they're an atheist so like well both are fake and i'm like this doesn't that's not it doesn't feel the same you know indiana yeah. jones and in, in in the in the and the lost ark and magic that works aliens this whatever man i don't know yeah it just it just felt completely out of place i i just have to throw this out there because you mentioned die hard i have the perfect title for whatever the final Die Hard movie will be. I have Let's the perfect it. title, Old Habits, Die Hard. That's amazing. Right? Bruce Willis, if you're listening, you know, just copyright that as ASAP before someone else does, because that's amazing. I'm, I'm, I've been sitting on that one for a good few years now. I'm very proud of myself. Mm -hmm. no, I, <clears throat> no, I actually like that. <laughs> as much as I don't want them to make another Die Hard movie, right. if they do, it should be that title. I agree. All right, so let's move on. We're going to talk about Knives Out, unless there was anything you wanted to add. Uh, no, I was just going to say, um, yeah, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is great. Uh, don't know what type of role. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully not a romantic interest for Harrison Ford. I don't think they'll go that route, but anything that she's a part of is great. So, yeah. All right. So moving on, Netflix has acquired the rights to Ryan Johnson's, I guess, what will be a Knives Out trilogy. So Knives Out was 2019, I believe. Correct. Uh, it had a crazy cast. It really sort of got, you know, I've, I've been singing uh, Ana de Armas's praises since Blade Runner 2049. Uh. Knives Out really got people talking about her because she's wonderful in the movie. Mm -hmm. Daniel Craig's hilarious. I, I, what did you think of Knives Out just quickly? Oh, I, I loved it. I thought it, I thought it was great. Um, for anybody that doesn't know, I, I'm a massive kind of whodunit person like i love uh the novels of agatha christie good mystery novels and i love kind of you know classic closed door mysteries where it's like someone died we're in a big spooky mansion very clue uh so it was already right up my alley um i probably would have liked it regardless but it went above and beyond like it was very clever very well written and directed by ryan johnson anya de armas uh that's that's her best role so far because you know i've seen her in other things and she's good, but it was really, she really knocked it out of the park with this terrific cast all around, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis and um, what's his name, Don Johnson, you have Christopher Plummer, the late Christopher Plummer, Chris Evans, uh, and of course, uh, Daniel Craig as, as this goofy 
uh, French. Uh, what's his name? LeBlanc. LeBlanc? What's his name? Uh, what was his name? I'll look it up. Can't remember, but he had, <laughs> yeah, he had that like that foghorn leghorn yeah. accent going. And uh, yeah. And so I, yeah, I, I thoroughly, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought that it's, it's probably one of the best things that Ryan Johnson has done. Um, and right off the bat, as soon as it was done, I was like, and I, cause it was, it was right around the time they were talking about possibly doing other adventures with Benoit Blanc. That's his that's name. It. The further adventures of Benoit Blanc. And I'm like, I'm for it. Give it to me. So uh, apparently they're giving it to you. Uh, mm-hmm. So Netflix has acquired the rights, as I said, for Knives Out 2 and 3. What did you say? It was like $450 million? It seems like the, uh, the official total is coming out to $469 million. Jesus. So I have some breaks down of like what that money's for, what, how they're doing it. It's, it's pretty wild, actually. Okay. Okay. So, okay. So um, to, to put this in perspective, like it's, it's 469 million for um, two movies. Uh, the original movie cost maybe about 40 million to make. And one of the, one of the crazier things about this is that most of this money is not going towards the production of the movies there. It's saying that uh, reports are saying that Ryan Johnson uh, star Daniel Craig and executive producer Ram Bergman, who produced um, the, the, fir- the, the last knives out as well as other kind of Ryan Johnson stuff, they're close friends. Each of them are, are looking to walk away with upwards of $100 million each, not a hundred million divided by three, a hundred million for each of them. Um, and the only stipulation that that's coming out of this agreement that Netflix has essentially is that it's, it's only going to premiere on Netflix and uh, Ryan Johnson gets full creative control. However, the production of the films must match the production, the production budget of the first film. And so I'm going to get the, the actual number of that in just a second, but essentially what that's saying is that it's about 40 million for two movies. So they're going to make two movies for about under a hundred million. The rest of that is going to three people. And that just is uh, insane to me. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, it would be one thing if like, like, let's be honest. I, I like Ryan Johnson, although I have yet to see Looper. I hear it's awesome. Um, he directed my all time favorite episode of Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, he directed a couple great episodes of Breaking Bad. But let's be honest, prior to Knives Out, he directed Star Wars The Last Jedi, and a lot of people, like, hate that movie. I don't mind it. It's certainly not one of my favorites, but it's, like, if he were this lauded director, lauded, I don't know how it's pronounced, that everybody loved, and they were trying to, uh, you know, get him, you know, the way that Christopher Nolan's been Warner Brothers, like, this whole time, you know, like, if Netflix were trying to lock him down as a filmmaker, just to work for them. Yeah. And if everybody loved Ryan Johnson, I would get it. But that amount of money, again, for Knives Out, which I don't know off the top of my head how much money it made. Oh, I got it up. Oh, okay. So on a budget of 40 million, it made 311 million worldwide. That's not that great. No. So that, yeah, here's the thing that that's a success. So I thought yeah. that a, so yeah, not to interrupt if I don't know if you were going to add more, no. but so. The first movie was was like was critically acclaimed, it, uh, nominated for several Oscars, or at least a couple Oscars. Um, 
and it was financially successful. You know, three over three hundred million dollars on a forty million dollar budget. That's a hit. Uh, and I could see, I could see immediately why a sequel would be greenlit. Especially, oh, absolutely. But it's just the the sheer amount of money that was that was given is is weird. And here's the thing: I'm not trying to you know poo poo on on their success. Good on Ryan Johnson and Daniel Craig. Get oh, yeah. that money. I'm I'm happy for honestly. I'm happy for him. It's it's like a amazing success story that in the sense that Ryan Johnson was an independent filmmaker, um, and it wasn't a Star Wars movie that that gave him his you know his bread and butter. It was essentially his own creation, this own franchise that he created. That's his moneymaker. So I'm, I'm ecstatic for him. Um, but the numbers don't make sense to me. They really don't. Um, to put it into to, to context, it's like there's, there've been other really high profile kind of like exclusive deals that people have, have that directors have been making. Uh, like J.J. Abrams, I believe, kind of signed on for like a $250 million dollar thing uh for for dc or for warner brothers um however it's not for one movie it's not for two movies it's for like several years worth of content right. same with um the creators of the show game of thrones like benioff and weiss they signed a multi-million dollar like crazy um upwards of 100 million dollar deal with netflix as well years ago however it's for multiple projects it's not two movies Right, and in when it comes to like, okay, Ryan Johnson's getting a hundred million for two movies. That that's the kind of thing where I would I wouldn't really bat an eye because I agree with you. Where it's like Ryan Johnson, you know, uh, Brick, his first movie was is quite good. It's a good little indie film. Uh, then he made The Brothers Bloom, which is a good movie. Didn't make a lot of money. Looper, which was critically liked, didn't make a lot of money. The Last Jedi, which, you know, got critical praise, made over a billion dollars. So it was a financially hit, but very divisive online. So yeah, he, but Knives Out was the first one that really seemed to be like a, a proper critical audience and financial success for, for Ryan Johnson. So he's, he's, he's got one. Right. It just doesn't make sense. Like if you were, if you were to tell me, you know, Netflix signed Christopher Nolan and gave him a hundred million. I'd be like, that makes sense. The dude is a moneymaker and not just with franchise stuff, his own original ideas, Inception, Interstellar, uh, Dunkirk, all made major money. Quentin Tarantino, I can, I, yeah, I can understand. You get one, you want to just sign an exclusive deal with Tarantino. That kind of money makes sense. Ryan Johnson, it doesn't, it's not really adding up. Well, and you know, when I, when, when you said how, how much the movie made on its budget and I said, that's not great. I didn't mean like, uh, I didn't mean like it wasn't financially successful, but I mean, yeah. if you're spending $400 million, that doesn't make sense. If the movie had made a billion dollars on a $40 million, okay, that I would understand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was, it was profitable, but it wasn't crazily so. Yeah. Yeah, this this is this is crazy to me. Not to mention, because because not a lot of people saw Knives Out. Does Netflix really think the number of new subscribers they're going to get for Knives Out two and three is going to be anywhere worth an investment of that level? Yeah, here's here's the theory. No, no, you're right because here's the theory of why they're potentially doing this, and it doesn't make a lot of money sense, but it. It's possible. I'm not a money guy, but it's possible that this could pay out, pay off for them for the future. But it's also possible they could just shoot themselves in the foot. 
essentially what, it, what I've been reading about and what other people are speculating is that this move is far more for, it's more of like a power play. It's far more for show than it is about these, this specific IP. So it's a few things of, one, it's, it's Netflix showing that they, will, they are willing to throw down the money, whatever capital you want as a filmmaker they if they trust you they will give you what you want and it's creating this buzz this this interest among other filmmakers i mean it's it's hard to say right now but the intention is to create this buzz of someone if amazon prime were to go up to martin scorsese and say hey you know we will give you x amount of money to make your next movie and he's like yeah well netflix just gave a hundred million to to you know ryan johnson so i'm gonna go talk to them so it's a way of potentially cultivating more talent to come in later as well as showing that because i think this is a first correct me if i'm wrong where it's a franchise it's going to be a franchise that started out as a theatrically released only movie so it was a theatrical released only franchise now the next two sequels are only going to be exclusively streaming it's it's much more of like this weird kind of like flex of just kind of like, look how much money we have we can get anything we want so in a way people are theorizing that it's more about showing what they're capable of and showing that it's like if need be we could do whatever we want as opposed to like knives out two and three are going to be the biggest hits of all time for them do you right. know what i'm saying yeah i get that it's, it's still it's still crazy to me. No, but... it is. Yeah. So I don't want to say that that's a proven theory. I don't want to say that like this is going to work out for sure. Because like I said, a lot of people think it could be just shooting themselves in the foot of like, you know what? Does that mean that you're going to have to throw down a hundred million times every anytime you want to you want to pull, you know, get someone on board? Todd Phillips, he made a lot of money for for Joker. Do you want to sign him for a deal? Yeah, well, you're, you're going to give me 50 million, but you gave Ryan Johnson a hundred million. So I'm going to walk. It's it sets a it sets a bad precedent of, yeah. of how much filmmakers can expect to get for their properties, right. and so it could it could obviously like be a very bad decision overall. Are you kind of leaning? Do you have an idea of like? Do you think it's going to be a good decision for them? Or are you kind of feeling like this is probably not a good idea? I if I were the one signing the checks, I wouldn't make this deal. Um, it just, it doesn't make sense to me from a numbers perspective. I'm not mm -hmm. good at numbers, but still, yeah. uh, it seems, and even if it is a flex, even if you're just trying to be the big dog, like, I don't know that's, that's a crazy investment. Uh, I, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. Hell yeah. I, I'm, I'm right there with you, even though I was trying to, you know, I was talking about how I, how other people perceive that it might be. I'm more like you were like, I don't think it's going to result in it's going to give you the results they're looking for, 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 like I said, for knives out. I think that it's a movie. If you wanted to buy this deal, make it a deal where you can cover the production cost, give, you know, the three people, Ryan Johnson, Bergman and, uh, and Craig a pay raise, you know what I mean? Like normal directors, like a big payout for directors, just to put it in perspective per movie. I think like Christopher Nolan is one of the highest paid, paid directors ever. And he was paid 20 million for, for tenant. No, Dunkirk, something. He's like 20 million is like the threshold. You could fucking, sorry for the cussing, but it's like you could finance the two movies for the same cost. So it's 80 million for two movies. Plus give Daniel Craig Johnson, the producer, $20 million each. 
and it would only be 140 million. Like, right. I don't understand. You could still make as big of a splash. So I'm right there with you. I think this is a weird bonkers. I'm good for Ryan Johnson and them, but I have no idea who, who greenlit this. Right. All right. So we're going to move on to our discussion in a second. But first, I forgot I was going to mention this. Uh, forgot to tell you I was going to mention this. But I just want to make a quick recommendation for anybody watching. Um, oh, yeah. Amazon sent me screeners for a new comedy series. It's an Irish comedy series called Frank of Ireland. It is written by and stars. Apparently, I said in my video, and I was corrected on Twitter, I said Brian Gleason. Apparently, it's Brian. Uh, Irish names can be difficult. But Brian and Donald Gleason are two of the main characters in the show. Six episodes long. They're all about 22 to 25 minutes. This show is hilarious. And I will say this. When I got the screeners, they weren't mislabeled, but they were in the wrong order. Uh, so okay. I watched the second episode first unknowingly. And I was kind of like, that was a jarring intro. But within two minutes, I was laughing out loud. I finished the second episode, realized my mistake, went back, watched the first. I binged the entire series in like three and a half hours. Uh, this show is hysterical. I didn't know that the Brothers Gleason... I, you know, I, I know, I know Donald, he's of course in Star Wars and I don't know if you watch Black Mirror, but he was in the episode Be Right Back. He was terrific in it. Mm-hmm. Brian Gleason, I don't know too terribly well. These guys are really funny dudes. And again, they wrote it. Um, so it's dropping on Amazon, I think on the 16th of this oh. month. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend it to anybody. It's very, it's dry. It's, it's silly. It's got some really good slapstick. It's written really well. It's got a little bit of like Arrested Development vibes at times. Mm -hmm. So just a quick recommendation for me when it drops on Amazon, check it out because it's really, really funny. Right on. No, I thank you for saying that because I know you mentioned it, but I I hadn't even heard about this. I want to check it out. You know, dry kind of British or Irish humor is my jam. Like I, it just, I vibe with that perfectly. Um, I didn't even know that Donald had a, had a brother. Um, I I was aware of him and his, his father, Brendan Gleeson. Who I um, love. Who is amazing. Yeah, he's in he's in one of my top five favorite films uh, in Bruges. That's one of my favorite films of all time, and he's great in it. Uh, but then, yeah, thanks for the recommendation. Like, I, I, that's definitely right up my wife and I's alley. So as soon as the first episode drops, I'm going to watch it and, and let you know. Nice. I should also say, um, uh, so Brian and Donald were actually, did you see Mother? The oh, Darren Aronofsky? Was that him in there? Because yeah, I knew was, I knew Donald Gleason was in it, but I but his brother. Yeah, they, they play brothers, and they uh, they're supposed to be the the Cain and Abel or whatever. Yes. And yes. So I think that's pretty much the only thing I've seen him in. But wild, um, wild movie, man! Wild, wild movie. I saw that at TIFF, and uh, Darren Aronofsky came out and like explained it to us all because we were all very confused, and uh-huh. it was cool. But, uh, okay, so we're gonna move on to. We've just got a couple of minutes left to have our final discussion. Again, Chris, do you want to introduce the discussion? Yeah, absolutely. So um, just fun little discussion question. What is a movie that seemingly everyone loves? Critics, audiences, just friends that you know, but you hate. Just a movie that you just don't understand all the love and the praise that it gets. Do you have something like that? Well, originally I was going to say the Oscar winning movie Crash, but I went off on that last week. So I decided not to go there. And also, does does anyone like that movie? Do you know, do you know anybody personally that's like, oh man, crash. I have one friend who like ah. thinks it's a great film, but I honestly believe, and, and 
this is just this is just an opinion of mine, but I think a lot of people when it came out said they liked it because they thought it was important because it was about racism. So mm -hmm. they thought that like they had to like it. Mm -hmm. And I'm not I'm not trying to take away anything from anyone who genuinely likes the film. I just no, take it away. Get the love for it. But uh, for me, the movie is um, I was talking to my friend last night. Hi, Danny. Uh, for me, the movie is um, she mentioned it. I was like, that's that's the movie. That's the one. Empire Records. I don't get it. Is that with Liv Tyler? Yeah. I've never actually seen that. Okay, so tell me about it. So Empire Records, it's Liv Tyler, Renee Zellweger, Anthony LaPaglia, who I really like. The mm -hmm. cast is all quite good, but so they all work at this independent record store and um, basically it's getting bought out by some big corporate conglomerate record store. And it's, you know, they got to try to raise money to save the store. You know, it's, it's, it's that story and that's yeah. fine. But for me, particularly for a movie, A, I don't, I don't find it that funny. I think mm -hmm. there are a lot of moments in the movie that are just dumb. Like at one point, the, the boss, Anthony Paglia, has been saving up money. He's going to try and use it to buy the store for himself to keep his own staff. And then one of the employees decides he's going to solve the situation. So he steals the money and he goes to like Vegas or something and he loses it all. And I was just like, really like that that was so dumb that was so contrived just to like make the stakes even higher i don't know yeah. um and you know and of course at the end of the day they state that they have a big concert or something and whatever but for for a movie about an independent record store mm -hmm. it feels like the most corporately made movie ever like it's the tone of the movie is so antithetical to what the movie is supposed to be about i just i don't get it at all Liv tyler's good in it renee zellweger's good in it you know most of the cast is good but you know and growing up everybody i knew like loved this movie for me watch high fidelity it's such a better movie and i've worked in an independent record store it's probably the best job i've ever had i loved it i miss you sonic temple but yeah i don't know this movie i i, I haven't seen empire records but high fidelity is the bar when it comes to like record store movies movies about people in talking about in around record stores if you haven't seen high fidelity i recommend it but damn empire records honestly I've, I've never seen it but every once in a while i'll get an itch to watch like a 90s film you know what i mean like you just kind of get in want to get in a 90s vibe sure. i'm a 90s i'm a 90s kid so that's why i have a lot of nostalgia for it um the 80s had their due it's now time for the 90s to be oversaturated in media um and that always comes up. I always see it. And I see, and you're right. I, it's, it's not like it has like a hundred percent tomato rating or anything like that, but everybody seems to like it. It's always on these lists of like great cult movies that you should watch. I'm like, okay, I'll check it out. Interesting though. Okay. I, cause I trust your opinion and I, I, I think we kind of agree more often than not. So that's interesting that you don't like it. Yeah. It's, and I mean, there's, okay. So there's a scene in the movie where, this like big pop star Rex Manning comes to the store. And so it's Rex Manning day. And like, I see it on Facebook all the time, like whatever date of the year it is, everyone's talking about, Hey, it's Rex Manning day. And I'm like, from that couple throwaway scenes from that kind of throwaway movie. I, I, I just, I don't understand for people who like it more power to you. I get it. Record store movies are cool. Uh, that one doesn't work for me. What about you, Chris? What's uh, what, what do you have on your list? Well, I want to, um, 
I have one that I'm going to mostly talk about, but I'm going to reference another one because I'm a cheater. And okay. but they're they're connected enough that it's like I just feel like talking about it. Um, this is one that's a it's a more pretty recent movie, and while looking through it, it seems like it hasn't had much of a lasting impact on either pop culture or people. I don't really hear people talk about it, but when it came out, I distinctly remembered go bringing my then girlfriend to see it. And it's the 2015 Cinderella remake by Kenneth Branagh. Now, my girlfriend at the time was a massive Disney fan. Like, and she had no interest in seeing this movie, which really shocked me because I was like, hey, it's Disney, it's Cinderella, it's a live action remake, it's going to be great. Um, Or don't you want to see it? And she was like, no. But I remember so many people, like on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a really high rating. I think it's like 80s. um, And yeah, 83%. And so many people like Double Toasted, which is a podcast I really like. Um, and uh, Mr. Sunday Movies, also know the Weekly Planet, another podcast. They love it. They're just like, this is great. It's one, it's this is what a Disney remake should be. This is blah, 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 blah. All those other D- Disney remakes suck. This is great. I hated it. I thought it was really, really dull. It's not, it's not a bad movie. It's not a terrible movie. It's just there. It's just like, it's, what is it? It's the Cinderella story minus talking animals, minus any music. What are you, what are you left with? Just boring, safe studio kind of recreations of scenes that we've seen a million times before. Um, have you seen the Kenneth Branagh one? I have, I have not, no. Have you heard, do you, did you, do you, do you feel like you remember hearing people talk about like, oh, it's pretty good or no? It's, it's kind of, that movie's kind of never even been on my radar. Like if you were to ask me who plays Cinderella in it, couldn't uh, tell you. Gotcha. Couldn't tell you. So yeah, that's what it's. So that's what I'm saying. We're like, that's why I kind of have like a second little backup, uh, one that I'm going to reference, which is also a Disney movie. But this one, like I said, does I don't really hear people talk about it much. It kind of came and went, but it made five hundred million dollars worldwide. So that's it's a, it was a solid hit. Stars Lily James as Cinderella. Um, it has uh, what's his name, Rob Stark, Richard Madden, Richard Madden, yeah, as um as the what's it called the uh, Prince Charming. Like I said, direct, directed by Kenneth Branagh, um, who's terrific actor, hit and miss director. He's done some good stuff. He's done some not so good stuff. Um, it has Helena Bonham Carter as the fairy godmother, Stellan Skarsgård's in it, Kate Blanchett. So a solid cast, but it's yeah. just so dull. Like I said, no musical numbers. It's just, it's, it, it's just as safe as you can get. Um. <laughs> But the reason why I was going to say that I have, so I don't, I don't recommend it. And I'm, it, like I said, it doesn't seem like most people care about it anymore, but there is one that I want to say that I don't hate. It's another Disney remake, but I just did not get it. Like I, I am, I'm in this weird vacuum of like, everyone absolutely loves this movie. And that's 2016 Jungle Book remake. Okay. What what is everyone talking about? It's not a bad movie. I don't dislike it. I remember I saw it and I was like, that was pretty good. And but everyone's just like, oh, 97% of Rotten Tomatoes, 900 million dollars worldwide. And everyone was referencing it like, oh, well, John Favreau is gonna make the Lion King, and he did so well with the jungle book. What it what? What did you see that one at least? I did. Uh I liked it. I I didn't love it. I think for me it was kind of more. I was just sort of more marveling at the technology of it. Like that really like that. That was the first time I think I've ever seen animals look that real. 
particularly when they were talking and I thought visually it was great. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't love it. I, I prefer the animated version. Uh, did you see uh, Andy Serkis's Mowgli? I did not know. That one I liked a lot better. That's closer to the actual book. It's dark. Mm. It's like gets kind of scary at times. The animal, de- the animal designs from the trailer for Mowgli kind of threw me off. Like it had weird, like human faces, kind of a little bit. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I will say, you know, the the John Favreau Jungle Book, terrific special effects. It's one of those things where I not once was I ever people talk about photorealism. I and that irritates me because not once was I ever like, is that a real animal? Like I right. was never convinced. Yes, it's it's amazing. It's really, it's really good, but I'm just not in, I'm just not impressed by like, well, well done, computer artist. You're terrific. It's in service of a story that has been done before. And it's just it was nothing. I mean, it was something I haven't seen the Lion King remake. But it's but I would rewatch the Jungle Book one a hundred times over instead of watching the Lion King remake because from what I've heard at least the Lion King remake is pretty much like a shot for shot remake to the extent pretty close pretty close yeah it deviates at some points so at least the Jungle Book from 2016 um, was different enough that I was like oh, that's pretty cool um, but yeah those are two two examples for me it's both Disney remakes um, I'm I'm just done with the Disney remakes. Uh, people try to recommend Aladdin to me. I'm just, I'm just over it. Uh, that being said, we talked about it before, how I'm very excited for Cruella to come out, which is weird. Considering my track record with these live action Disney movies, I should not be interested in Cruella, but I'm actually legitimately excited for it. I don't know what's wrong with me. Have I learned my lesson court? Apparently not. Apparently not. But hey, maybe it'll be good. The, the trailer looks like a lot of fun. Looks cool. I think we, we agreed on that, so... Mm-hmm. So that is the show, everybody. We want to thank you guys for watching. Uh, we will be back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Uh, before we sign off, obviously, we want to encourage you to, you know, like the video, share it around, comment below with your thoughts on Falcon and Winter Soldier or what's what's a movie that you don't that you just don't get that everybody seems to like. I do read all the comments. I try and respond to everything. So uh, please do that. Uh, of course, we will be back next week. Chris, where can people find you online? On Instagram, I have a handle called The Art of Light and Shadow. Um, just a little fun movie blog I'm doing about all the wacky movies that I watch over the year, whether they're super artsy, Criterion collections, or just goofy, whatever Steve Martin did in the 90s. It's a lot of fun. And uh, obviously, Andres wasn't here today, but if you want to check him out, jump on YouTube, do a search for Cheap Thrills, Unspeakable Terror. He does uh, sort of sci-fi, horror, B-movies, starting from, I think, the 50s all the way up till now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Really short to the point uh, reviews. They're a lot of fun. You guys, bleh. you guys, of course, can follow me on YouTube on, well, you're on YouTube, so you're already here. Uh, hope you'll subscribe, but you can also follow me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at court shake. We want to thank you guys for watching. We hope you are all safe and healthy and we will see you next week. Take care. Everybody. Guys. Have a good one.